Hi, and welcome to the Incubator Podcast. We are here today with two first-year graduate students, and we're going to follow them throughout their graduate career. Hi, Emily. Hello. Hi, Bennett. Hey there. Where are you from? Well, I'm from Monterey, Massachusetts, a town of like a thousand people. And uh, I, I grew up there, essentially, and... Uh, then uh, I went to college at Brown University. Cool. In Providence. And Emily R- Lorenzen, you are from the West Coast. That's correct. I was born and raised actually on a farm in Pendleton, Oregon, which is a very rural area. Uh, it's a real farm with 4,000 acres of wheat. And then I went to Portland, Oregon for college and have been staying there for the past couple of years before I finally applied to graduate school. Cool. So... I'd like to learn a little bit more about how you came to deciding that a PhD program was something you wanted to pursue. Uh, Bennett, you have come right out of college. Yeah. So did you major in science? Yeah, I was a chemistry major and Rockefeller, it's a biology program. So I was sort of looking to make a switch mm-hmm. from chemistry to biology, um, particular in particular neuroscience. And I guess the question is, why I came to PhD program. Yeah. Well, I think science is sort of inherently interesting to me. I've been interested in becoming a scientist since I was very young. Um, actually, this is sort of weird. My mom's, my mom's best friend's husband has this really big lab at Harvard. And when I was super young, as just like a cool thing to do, we went on like a tour of the lab. And I was just, I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And so I was... I was like, while other kids were like saying that they wanted to grow up to be a fire truck, um, I I was saying that I wanted to be like a biochemist and people were giving me funny looks for a long time. So Um, are you saying that being exposed to a lab as a young child is, has a serious impact? Yeah. And do you think that's common for uh, a lot of children or just children that might be more inclined to be nerdy? I mean, I think kids like cool stuff. And I mean nerdy bite. I mean it in in an endearing way. Please, there's no other connotation of nerdy that Thank I know you. of. I agree. Um, uh, insults from sixth grade girls aside, clearly. <laughs> clearly those left a very, I'm trying to repress those memories. I know. Um, but yeah, I think it's inherently interesting seeing the machines, seeing the people walking around business-like in lab coats. I think it probably would be intimidating to some and in- interesting to others, uh, depending on the disposition of the kid, but I thought it was awesome. And a nice postdoc uh, named, I think, Pamela or Penelope. I, I'm fuzzy on the details, except for this. She was like, this is like, this is brains. She like showed me like a, t- like a, a dish with like brain tissue in it. So that was, so that sort of stuck with me. And just, I enjoyed learning science all throughout high school, all throughout college. It's just something I enjoyed learning about. And so Emily, you took a few years I did before take joining a few years. Um, so what was going on? I was I was pretty much planning to do a PhD program even when I came out of college, but decided to enjoy Portland for what I thought was going to be a year at first. I really enjoyed my job a lot, so that year turned into three years. And what really ultimately made the push for me to uh, join a PhD program was I was getting very frustrated that I had very little direction in my research project. I 
figured out how to do one experiment, and I repeated it many, many times. When, so you were working in a lab? Yes. Were you a technician? Yes, I was. That's why I ended up here. I wanted to have a lot more control over being able to go in different directions with my with my work. So creative control. I think, Chris, you probably can... Yeah, I, I think it's uh, interesting. Um, so I thought about going into an MBA program, and I know with MBAs, um, they usually want you to take a couple of years out of business school mm-hmm. and to go into an MBA or, or, or whatever school. So that was one of the things, Bennett, I wanted to ask you, like, you didn't feel like you needed time away from school. You didn't do like a walkabout. You didn't like backpack through Europe. I mean, yeah, I didn't feel like I needed time to be unsure. I didn't feel, I didn't feel like, like if I was going to take time off, I was totally open to the idea of taking time off, but I was thinking of things that I could do and none of them, I, none of them sounded good to me. I, I felt, well, I could like take time being a tech in a lab and like think about whether I want to like do that. But I figured, why do that when you could just be doing science and advancing your career while you're making that decision? Um, and, you know, I could have taken a trip and spent a lot of money, but that that requires a lot of money. <laughs> and the other money thing... Money grows on trees. What yeah, are you talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> it's actually made out of cotton. You guys know that, right? So money doesn't grow on trees. It's made out of cotton fibers. <laughs> Um, which grows on bushes. Which grows yeah. money grows on bushes. If you learn, take one thing away today. It's that. Um, so do you think it's more valuable to take some time off before you come into a PhD program uh, in biomedical science, or do you think it's more valuable to just jump right in? And and I wanted to know too. Two part question: um, Is it is it usual for someone to to be a tech? Because I being on campus, you know, I've heard a lot of people who are tech say, well, you mean I'm before doing, joining the PhD? Program? Yeah. It's like, I'm doing my, my time as a tech, you know, I'm thinking about places to go and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, well, for two reasons, I think it's a great idea to take a couple years as a tech. Um, first of all, a lot of undergraduates kind of get a very, uh, whitewashed version of science where the typical lab, uh, the lab, wait one second. The lab courses <clears throat> have experiments that will work. So you think science works all the time. Mm. Once you're tech and you're starting to do real science, trying to figure out a question that hasn't been asked, having to refine the methodology to, to answer that question, you realize how frustrating it is. And quite frankly, it's not for everyone. Sometimes you'll go, go for a full year with everything failing, sometimes even longer. And you have to be able to kind of create a stoicism about it to separate your emotions somewhat from your science. Of course, you don't want to do that too much, but to not oh, have yeah. a bad a bad experiment ruin your day because you're going to have a lot of really bad days then. The other part that's really helpful is also just in applying to graduate schools. Mm-hmm. Graduate schools seem to be moving towards uh, be more interested in people that have had a couple of years of tech work in them. I think, I don't know statistics, but I believe that less people drop out of grad school who have been techs prior to. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Bennett? Yes. Um. Well, pretty much my, my thinking was that pretty much if you're going to be a tech, you're going to be doing the kind of things that you're doing in grad school. So if your attitude, if you want your attitude to be, once I enter grad school, I'm gonna finish it definitely. Whereas I feel like maybe maybe this is 
maybe this is a bit of an admission, but I think that I'm still open to the possibility if, if after two or three years I really don't like graduate school, I would rather have worked my way closer to a potential goal. Do you see mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. Rather than rather than you know working a couple years as a tech, maybe not taking any classes, maybe not meeting as many cool people that I get to meet now. So I'm just gonna shift gears slightly. Why did you choose to apply to Rockefeller? Well, it's been described to me as Valhalla for scientists um, and science camp by two different people. Wow. Um, it just seemed like a place that I could go that I could focus on the research pretty exclusively in both, like in so many ways. So I, I love to teach. I love to TA. And when I get the opportunity to teach, I pour a lot of effort and energy into it. Um, but I know that that's something that I could do if I needed to. So I want to sort of put that to, to the side and refine my research skill specifically, sort of skills, I guess, skill set specifically. And just like how close you could live to campus, how easy it is to join a lab. There's just so much less uh, bull doo doo. Sure. Um, here than there is at other places. Yeah, having I think having the um, requirements to teach or TA on top of your bench work, I think is really intense. Right. Yeah. And so, Emily, why did you choose Rockefeller? For very similar reasons. I love just the focus on research, how they very much do a lot of little things to make sure that we don't have these additional real life stresses and that we can just pour all of our energy into the research. I mean, everything from having a two minute commute to work every day is absolutely wonderful. Sometimes I'll wake up. Yeah. Cause we do have a number of housing options that are on or close to campus, right. which yes. is, which is pretty valuable, especially in New York city where real estate is hard to come by. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I hear about other grad students at NYU who have to, you know, they have to take the train for a long ways every day. And, you know, lab work, I don't want to create the impression that we're like slaving away until two in the morning, but sometimes you have to go in and check something and like tweak it at two in the morning or one in the morning. And you don't want to have to take a train back into the middle of, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know New York geography that well at this point, but do you, you will. Do they, do you have to do that if you're uh, doing an experiment and you live away from it? Do you have to take yeah. like an hour long train and come? Or I mean, it depends on how far you live. Or can you plan around that? I mean, I mean, I like, used to come in. I used to have to set up stuff. Um, I would go home, and then, or there was one time I remember, I set up a, a a big experiment. I went to a Yankee game, and after the Yankee game, I went back to lab. You know, so it was like eleven o'clock at night, and I finished up my experiment. But right. there was like an incubation time that allowed me to enjoy the Yankee game. Yeah, in some ways, biology is is nice that way, and in other ways, it's hard because you have to yeah. plan that well. For right. instance, if the game had gone into extra innings. Right. I probably would have been screwed. Right. Yeah. Or not seen the innings. Or not seen the innings. Right. Yeah. I guess I would actually, no, I definitely would have chosen to leave the game because I'm a responsible human. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have chosen to stay at the game because I'm a responsible Yankee fan. <laughs> have you ever? Wait, you're from Massachusetts. How does I'm that happen? I'm from the very Western part of Massachusetts, okay? <laughs> I got this for like 18 years. I got this... Uh, this yeah. in incredulity. Well, I've we had, love you for it. I've had at least a half dozen people tell me um, I can't become a Yankee fan once I move to New York. Why? Why? 
I don't know. Because they hate everybody hates Yankees. Really hate the Yankees. I mean, that's also one of the reasons why I came to Rockville, not the Yankees, but (laughs) yeah, that's New York City. One of the reasons I came. Yeah, I heard they New York City is a draw. Absolutely. Why would I not take the opportunity to live in New York City when I'm in my twenties? It's the flexibility. I feel like I haven't explored New York in great depth because I've been spending so much time on campus and with campus friends and in lab and with lab friends. Um, but it's nice that anytime I do want to go out, that there's just something. I'm so used to being from a place where it's like, well, the comedy thing is coming through town on the third Thursday of the month. And if you miss that, then you're going to have to wait until the next third Thursday. And I could just, okay, I just want to be amused. Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, I guess in Portland it was less like that, but in New York it's even better because not only are there things to do on Monday and Tuesday, there are multiple things to do, like, every single day of the week. Yeah, and at every time of the day. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. So um, how are you guys faring in your rotations? I love the... The, uh, the the PI, the principal investigator that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. I'm working with a neuroscientist named Gabby Maiman. He studies uh, Drosophila melanogaster, which is the tiny, tiny fruit fly. and Which apparently fruit fly is a misnomer because they do not, they prefer things like vinegar. Really? So what, they wait for the fruit to Well, yeah, they wait ferment. for it. They like they like vinegar because it's like a smell that means that the fruit is fermenting. Yeah, and they like they actually like a little bit of alcohol and a little bit of vinegar Ugh. to Alcoholics. go with their fruit. Drunkards. Yeah, wow. I'll take alcohol and some vinegar in a salad or something. Yeah, yeah, I guess they so. like nice a, they like a nice wine. vinaigrette. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and some vodka. On yeah, top. <laughs> so I go with the rum. I have a I have a question about them. So, yes. So when they show up in your house. Where do they come from? Have they traveled with the fruit itself? Or? And is it Drosophila melanogaster that's actually showing up in your house? Yeah. It's, there are lots of species. I don't know yeah. that answer to that, but there are lots of species of Drosophila, um, which are small and look to my eye kind of similar based on my cursory Google image searches. <laughs> and um, where are they coming from? I have no idea. But that's sort of an interesting thing about flies. I was talking to my cousin a couple nights ago. And I'm dissecting these flies. I'm looking at their brains. Um, And she said, that's kind of funny. I never thought of fruit flies as having brains, but they, but they do. They can, even though they're smaller than the brains are like the, the width of the crease of one of the creases of your fingerprint. Wow. Um, so you must can, be doing this under very high-powered yeah, microscopes. Doing, doing it under a microscope. And yeah. you can't – this is stupid because you, you listeners, you can't see the, the hand motions that I'm making. But you should know that I'm making very tiny hand motions right now. And they make a huge <laughs> difference, like something like this. Yeah. I could totally smush or so mess you, up. You don't want to have the shakes or drink too much caffeine. Coffee is a big problem. Some A couple of, t- a couple of days ago, I accidentally had coffee. But, but going back to what I was saying uh, to my cousin – and connecting it to what you said, even though they have these tiny brains, they're still capable of making decisions. They're still capable of saying like, okay, I'm going to go to that smell. That smell is good. And they can make incredibly long flights and make these decisions about where to stop, where to eat, where to mate, where to lay eggs. And we're studying the, capa- the capacity of the nervous system to make these kinds of decisions and what is changing either in the circuitry of the way that the different cells are wired together or in the single cells themselves if like where the memory is stored that's basically that's basically what the lab is working on i'm working on a different 
type of project, but and you're clearly enjoying it. It's yeah. the kind of big ideas that I didn't get to do much of in undergrad. I was a chemist in undergrad, and organic or inorganic organic chemist. Yeah. So we were making molecules that were going to be used as antiviral compounds, sure. which is a which is a totally noble nights of the round table. You feel like a good person for doing it, but it's yeah, that's a fruit fly. I can see it. Oh, cool. It's got the little red eyes a, and the black bottom. We have a fruit fly flying around. It's totally it's totally an escapee from one of the other labs. Bennett, did you bring it here? <laughs> I know, exactly. I've, the answer, we I've, have answered our yeah, question. I've released it in the lab. Yeah, unfortunately I didn't bring a GPCR here with yeah, me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's some of the minute trials and tribulations from my lab, which is studying some really interesting questions. Yeah, that's a great lab. Yeah. What's going on in your rotation right now? So my rotation is actually very similar to what I was doing as a tech, which was another reason why I was interested in Rockefeller was Tom Sackmar. Mm -hmm. His lab itself, such cool stuff going and it drew, on there. So the Sackmar lab drew you here? Yes. I actually uh, visited there a couple of times before I even applied there. Uh, Tom and, and my former boss are good colleagues, friends. So it was an easy transition mm -hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. And this is both, both of you are in your first rotation. Yes. Right. right. <clears throat> Where do you expect to go after this? Because you are required to do three or two. Actually, we aren't required to do any rotations. Oh. I'm still going to do it because I figure out. How I many are you going to try to do? Three. Three? Yeah. Three or four. I mean, oh, I figured, you can even do that many. Yeah, I figured I shouldn't stay in the, the G protein coupled receptor world. Forever, I should maybe escape out of it for a little bit. See if there's something else. Yeah, exactly. What about, I mean, how long, what is the duration of a typical rotation here? It really depends. Some people, I've heard of people doing nine-month rotations. Wow. And then not joining the lab. Or some people will do just a, like a month and then realize it's not the right place and quickly. Yeah. So the, the typical is two and a half to three months. So are the rotations, it's like you're figuring out what you will do your PhD in? Yeah. Okay. It's and that, also, but it's also, go ahead. Yeah, it's also very much the lab environment. You're going to be spending a lot of time in the lab, and so you want to make sure that you can make friends with your lab mates. That's really important to have a camaraderie in the lab. Yeah. If, you're, if people are bumping heads, I think it becomes really difficult to enjoy going to work. And if you don't enjoy going to work in science, then those 14-hour days really suck. And exactly. labs can get pretty, they can get competitive, right? Uh, sometimes. I think most most of the labs that I've seen here are pretty good about about uh, the the uh, investigators doling out projects one per person. Yeah. I've heard, for instance, in chemistry that that's definitely the case where there's like one target molecule, and the professor will say to two graduate students, both of you work on this molecule. Uh, the person who synthesizes it first gets the paper. Yeah. That sounds absolutely horrible. I would hate to be in the same room with my competitor at all times. Right. Yeah. And it also just, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because if one, one person makes a great first leap and the next person can like add on to that using your different intelligences or brainstorming, why not? Yeah. It seems counterintuitive to pit people against each other, yeah. especially when you can have so much more progress by collaboration. Yeah, I guess but that's my I, little soapbox. Yeah, I guess the idea is like, oh, if you're competing, then maybe you'll be working harder. But I, I personally don't think that's true because yeah. I would be working more stressed and working more stressed means right. I but, don't do it as well. And 
Short answer is that doesn't happen here, oh, yeah. as far as we know. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. We might come back here after our third rotation and have some horror stories. But <laughs> oh, so I'm far, excited. Great, very healthy yeah. lab environment. So you want to um, check out of the um, G protein coupled receptors for a bit. What area are you thinking about pursuing um, for your next rotation? So my interests are actually kind of very broad. I'm more interested in working with people who are developing cutting edge te technologies to then use to study questions that haven't been really able to answer because of the lack of methodologies. And basically, I like proteins. That's it. As long mm -hmm. as I'm studying a protein, I'm happy. Okay. As long as I'm studying protein with some really cool stuff, I'm even happier. Sure. So doing cool techniques, making cool fusions, or maybe even following where it lives. Yeah, cool instrumentation. The mm -hmm. next what? rotation I was thinking about doing was with uh, Sandy Simon. Oh, yeah. And he wants me to pick up on uh, a method that uses centrifugal force to measure the interactions between two proteins and how strong those interactions are and how they change. Yeah, that were, sounds really neat. You were telling me about this. Basically, you, you tether a protein and then you spin it around really fast. And you can imagine like holding onto a kid as yeah. you spun, around, spun yeah. around really fast in the backyard. And if you... And if you uh, you want to see like what connects to their feet or something? Yeah, you want to see like what you take that that protein out and then you see what still hung on even when you spun spun on really fast like your kid loves you a lot so it would really hang on to you yeah yeah um yeah you can measure it's the a, love of your child for you that wow. way nice thing quantitative force yeah. <laughs> i think so i might put that so on beautiful. the back burner yeah. <laughs> what what kinds of things do you want to learn about proteins like you say you want to learn about proteins but what kinds of thing do you want to learn about specific proteins and why? Well, the thing I've been most interested in is along the biophysics sides of things. So how proteins move, how that movement leads to different interactions, and the forces within proteins. So it's all very, yeah, not specific. Mm -hmm. But what do you want to learn about not neuroscience stuff, how things learn and how their brain changes. Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit of like a Matryoshka doll of a of a project. You know, I want to learn about how things learn and then I learn about learning and I remember about how things remember. No, but um <laughs> what first got me interested in neuroscience is the fact that people have different personalities. People are presented with the same same stimuli and react very differently. And what causes that? So there's the whole nature nurture debate and I think most people feel solidly okay. It's like some combination of the two. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty interested in the nature side of things. I was thinking about this yesterday, like dogs, breeds of dogs have different personalities that were bred into them. There's something biochemical going on there. Those are definitely selected for. Right, that are selected for. Yeah. But it just, but it's not like we selected for the dog mothers who are raising their puppies the least neurotically. Like we were selecting for some kind of nature of the dog as opposed to the, the nurture of how they were how they were bred or grown sure. up. So that's what sort of got me interested in neuroscience. And I'm looking to, my ideal project would be to find some circuit that controlled behavior and some, some great, some gradient of the way that the animal would interact. So an, the animals that would be more likely to interact in one direction or, in, or make another choice. Uh, animal that would be more liable to take risks, for instance. 
um, some kind of proxy for personality and then look at the genetics of that. That's sort of what I'm interested in doing. So where do you guys see yourselves in 18 months and then also in five years? 18 months, obviously, still here. In five years, maybe also still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, where do, you, where do you expect to go after this, maybe? Oh, that's a good question. I had originally, all through college, thought, ah, academia. I'm following the straight and narrow. Go get my PhD, postdoc, assistant professorship, the whole bit. And now I'm not so sure anymore. I don't know if necessarily it's industry that would be a good alternative for biotech, but also something I've started to get more interested in uh, is media, mm. science and media. Your job is awesome. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I like science and media very much. I think it helped <clears throat> that I was very good friends with people Jeannie, in the filmmaking you have a business. Rotation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, would you rotation? like to rotate that would with me? Be pretty cool. Yeah, I think, like if you sweet. could have a rotation with some of the. Uh, let's pitch it to, to our deans. Yeah, like what? A one month rotation or something? Sure. I, yeah. I think that that would be really awesome. That is so cool. Um. I think the question, I am also sort of interested in science and media, and the question, where am I going to be in five years, is tied to another question, where are you going to be in five years, because <laughs> maybe I can, if you move on, <laughs> we can take your job. Right? Um, <laughs> I, I'm a little young to think about retirement in five years, unless that is I strike it rich somehow, which I doubt will happen in an academic setting. But I, yeah, <laughs> I think that's interesting too, though, I think the younger scientists, because media is around us so much I, yeah. it, do you find that you know scientists who are in their you know 40s 30s 20s are more aware and more interested in media and being involved with media in some way versus maybe people who didn't you know grow up with like YouTube and the right. internet and well you know you Chris know. you and I are around the same age and we are clearly not digital natives you guys are not really digital natives but I think that Things like the internet and the computer have been around. Or Bennett, you're a digital Bennett, native. Yeah, I'm the baby. Yeah, the, of, on, at the table. So I was, I was they actually have me sitting at the kids' table. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a cell phone until I was like 24. Do you know what CDs are, Bennett? Uh, I, yeah, I did use a floppy disk at one point. Oh, Whoa. I I can't remember what I used it for. I must oh, have I backed so you, up. Like you a always paper had the room. internet. It yeah, was always yeah, there. So, from the time that I needed to use it, it was always there. Even wow. when it made the noise like, da -do, da -do, da. <laughs> wow. Ah. <laughs> Why did it need to, am I connected to the internet now? Did I, we are live streaming. <laughs> hold on, there's like, a blip in the system. Yeah, I can just ask yeah. a question. Um, so, uh, but Chris, oh, yeah. I think, I think to answer your question, um, from my perspective is that I do find that it is very generational. Um, I find that people who are contacting me to talk about media and how that intersects with science typically tend to be, you know, I guess in the, their thirties or younger. I, I rarely find someone who's already established. Um, do you think that has to do with the culture of science too? Like only showing, you know, like with papers and showing, you know, uh, your research after it's at a certain point, you know. Well, think about a, it. The, having having the internet, it's still it's like we're still kind of in beta. I think we're still trying to figure out how can science be best represented um, online. 
I mean, you have things like PLOS that allows for commenting on actual papers, you know, and, and that's kind of novel and it's really cool to get feedback like that. But at the same time, um, are people actually reading the comments and do they even make an impact for a paper that's already been published, you know, and, um, but it does raise questions. So it's kind of interesting. And, I, you know, I think we're still wondering, and this is probably a topic for another time, but we're still trying to figure out like where, where, where we live on the internet and how scientists, what space on the internet scientists can occupy and how they can be effective at communicating whatever message, message it is they're trying to say. And I think also um, on a societal point of view, scientists are kind of being forced to think about their PR. Certainly you need you need PR as a scientist because you're, we're going from a mostly federally funded world to a world where we have to be more creative and think about private funding. And we need to think about, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Bill Gateses of the world. And they want to they want to expand science when i think there's a transparency that comes with the internet too absolutely to speak what you're saying about pr i think people want to know where that federal funding yeah. is going yeah yeah people are asking a lot more questions and, and the issue i think for scientists is like especially the scientists that are um used to the system before the internet i think they find it a little bit disturbing to be so open because they're always there's always that fear of getting scooped Yes. You know, mm. and, and that's a, and that's that is a, legitimate, a legitimate yeah, fear, culture. you know, because if you are working t like seven, eight years on a project and then all of a sudden someone else publishes the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's devastating. No, I was, I was I working on it for a year on something and I saw when I saw that paper come out. My stomach dropped. Yeah, it was a bad day. I don't I went see why, home. why it has to be that way. Like. I agree with you, Bennett. Like if, it's just if, it's if, shifting the culture. I mean, even the notion of like having science published in a paper, like what if we like exploded that? What if we... Like Archive? Do you know Archive? No. So Archive is a repository that most astrophysicists and mathematicians use. And a lot of things that are put up there are um, sort of manuscripts that have not even been submitted yet. And people get to comment and people get to tweak and make suggestions. And it's very open. It's very transparent. You know who's commenting. You know who's doing the research. And it seems to be a, a superb system that is working really well. That's great. That's absolutely amazing. Yeah. A-R-X-I-V, archive. Um, but yeah, let us let me just wrap up what we, what like try to be a little bit more focused because um, this is definitely, we're going to, I think we'll keep these and then add to it perhaps at a, at a, at a later we'll date. Yeah, for the science communication part, portion of it. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to talk about that in depth because it's my baby. Um, so, okay, so 185, so you guys are not, holding so when I started grad school it was you know academia or bust so you guys are clearly starting off at a at a more in a more open-minded um kind of yeah, I'm state job or bust that's what, I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm going for yeah, yeah I think also just even amongst the professors uh there's been an attitude to change where before if you went into industry you were a sellout yeah, if you, dark side, we yeah, called it. Yeah, you're a horrible person. Is that for real? That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And now it's kind of becoming recognized, well, there's actually just not enough academic jobs for all of us. So. That's like music and, you know, used to be a sellout if your <clears throat> music was in a commercial and now. Like, like a jingle? That, 
or like in a car commercial. And yeah, but like Led like Zeppelin a, has a car commercial. Like but a it's a big deal something. now because you know they're not selling records and like yeah. it, it's like great. It's like well, oh, the we landscape can make some has money. changed, I suppose. And that's that's what I was. I mean, it, I clearly mean, the landscape has changed for science. Only fourteen percent of people end up in a tenure track position. Right, and or that's and that's coming of, out of biology PhDs. Right, I think that and that's out of Rockefeller, right? No, 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 that's, no. That's that's all... at like NSF data. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Sure, can, we can edit. We can edit out me being stupid <laughs> about that. Um, I was talking to a postdoc in my lab, and he was like, "Yeah, um, if you think about it, for every lab, there's one professor, and then a bunch of people in the lab. It's and when it. that person retires, one person from the lab, not not in the physical lab itself, but like one person is going to take their place." Yeah. So, you know, look around you, like who's going to be the one person? Yeah. Do you think you're, have you ever heard of something called the PhD problem? Do you know what that is? I, I can think of a problems. lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> the one I'm specifically speaking about is um, regarding the fact that we are uh, administering uh, thousands of PhDs in some biomedical science in particular per year, yet we don't have enough spaces to house even a fraction of those in a long-term career path mm -hmm. in, acad in academia. Um, do you think by joining a PhD program, you are part of the PhD problem, or do you think you're gonna just have more solution than problem? I just wanna do what's interesting to me. That's a good answer, and that's a true answer. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not too worried about it because I know that science is, what I've always wanted to do and what I continue to want to do. And I'm pretty sure science will exist yeah, forever. Yeah, exactly. And you don't necessarily need to be in an academic position to be doing similar things to what you're doing yeah. in graduate school. Right. It's all about creativity and problem solving and I like communications. those words. Yeah. Those are good. They're buzzwords. Creativity, problem solving. Communication. You can, you can do that in any any field. Yeah. So it's all about building the skill set. Thanks for joining us, Bennett and Emily. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And I definitely look forward to checking in periodically to see how you're doing. Yeah, good luck with your PhD programs. We'll need it. Thanks so much, guys.